Welcome to the mine. We are so glad that you are here this evening and uh, we're looking forward to another great night here at Cornerstone. Uh, just a couple of things uh, before uh, the guys come to lead us in worship tonight, and we're certainly glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 11 tonight for our study. Uh, but before we get to that, if you have your Bibles, I wanted to point out a verse that really went along with last week's uh, message and sort of bridges into tonight. Uh, Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Uh, we were talking last week about the importance of, as God works in our lives, that we share what God's doing in our lives with others to encourage them that the same God who worked in our life can work in their life. And that one of the main themes throughout the book of Romans is that through God we have this power that enables us to be delivered from whatever uh, that, that is greater than anything in our life that's holding us back from being what God wants us to be, from living the life that God wants us to live. We have a power greater than any other power. And so we were talking about how those of us who've been delivered, we've, we've experienced the power of God in our life, how we need to tell other people about it. And as I was driving home last Tuesday night, I remembered Psalm 107, because notice in the first two verses of Psalm 107, uh, David writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His loyal love endures. And we've been talking a lot throughout the book of Romans about the loyalty of God, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of His Word and His promises. And then I love verse 2. Let those delivered by the Lord speak out, those whom He delivered from the power of the enemy. So, it really is upon us that when we've been delivered by God, when God's power has flowed through our life and we've experienced that we need to speak it out and we need to share that with others. And that's part of what we do on an everyday basis. It's also part of what we do in worship, that we gather together and we just, you know, shout out the praises to God and we acknowledge that it's by his power that we are alive and that we're living and that we're here. And I just hope you guys have had a great week. I've had a really good week so far. Uh, not that everything's went exactly as planned, uh, but God's hand has just been on this week for me. And I just so appreciate it. And I appreciate you folks coming out on Tuesday night and being here. And we just really want this to continue to grow um, and hear, you know, get the word out about Tuesday night. Because uh, there's still a lot of people at Cornerstone that don't know about the mine. And uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, that are new every week to Cornerstone. So if you get the chance, you know, invite somebody to come with you. Uh, as you can see around you, we've got plenty of room for them. All right. Let's open up with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to turn it over to these wonderful young men. And they're going to lead us in worship tonight. God, thank you so much for uh, just the opportunity we have to be here again to to just focus upon you for this next hour or so. And God, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, but Lord, also that our hearts would be overflowing in our praise and in our appreciation back towards you. Because Lord, you are good and your loyal love endures forever. And we have been delivered by your power and we want to speak that out tonight. And we want to shout that out and just let the world know how great you are and greatly to be praised. And God, just inhabit this place tonight. May your spirit descend upon us in a very special way and may we sense the power and presence of God here tonight and may we leave here tonight 
uplifted by your spirit and through your word. And may we leave here tonight very much encouraged once again. And we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, uh, before we get started tonight, uh, we really have not had a, a chance as a group to thank someone. And since he's here tonight, Brian, our lead worship guy here at our church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and here's why I say that. Many of you do not know that on Tuesday night used to be worship practice. They knew that? Yeah, they could hear it. Um, and, and Brian and the group graciously said, look, we're willing to move our night of practice so that the mind can come in here on Tuesday night. And I, I just think we need to show our appreciation to them. Yeah, for that. Thank you all very much. All right, guys, these guys are up here to lead us tonight. Let's stand up and let's worship the Lord tonight. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank all of you. What a great time of worship tonight as we prepare our hearts to just hear from the Lord tonight. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. I want to encourage, maybe some of you have never been to the mine before. Um, the way I design the mine is we go through a book of the Bible, but each week stands on its own. So don't feel like you have to be here every week. You come as your schedule allows you to come. And you will hear something that night that you can take with you to encourage you in your walk with God. And as I shared, as we went through the book of Romans, we've seen God's power to deliver is a major theme. We have seen the promises of God that we need to embrace and believe in as a major theme. And we're going to continue to see that tonight as well. One of the other things, though, that we are seeing, and especially chapters 9, 10, and 11, is the preservation of the nation of Israel and the people of God, the, the Israelites. And we might say, especially for most of us as Gentiles who are not Jewish, how does that affect my life? I think as we look at the nation of Israel and see how God has dealt with them in the past, how He is dealing with them in the present, and how He will deal with them in the future, it can be a tremendous encouragement to you and I right here today as those who've chosen to follow Christ. Because some of the same principles, some of the same dynamics that God has used throughout history and is using now to relate to Israel also can be applied and related to our life as well. For instance, as we start Romans chapter 11 tonight, we've seen this before. One of the things that Paul is bringing up here is the objection by some that Israel as a nation is not enjoying the promises that God gave them in the Old Testament, some specific promises. Why not? Is God unfaithful? Can His Word not be trusted? And Paul always comes back and reiterates the fact that it's not because God is not faithful. It's not that God can't be trusted. He certainly can. If they're not enjoying the promises of God that God has given them, either those promises yet to be fulfilled are yet future, okay, they're, they're for a time in the future, or they might be conditional promises based upon Israel's faithfulness. And right now as a nation, Israel is not faithful. They are not believing in the Word of God in order to enjoy those promises. And so God, from not a, not a long way away at all, notice Paul says in 11 verse 1, So I ask, God has not rejected His people, has He? 
And his response is the very strongest language that he could have used in the Greek language. Absolutely not. God has never rejected his people. And God is faithful. And all of God's original promises to the nation of Israel will be fulfilled literally in the future. And that's what Paul is going to emphasize as we go down through here. Now, again, what we can take from that is this. God is not going to reject you either now or at any point in the future. And all of God's promises to you, you can embrace with full assurance because God's word is true. It is trustworthy. It is faithful. Paul gives two examples of God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel and his compassion on Jewish people from the past. He uses two examples. One is himself and the other is his dealings with the prophet Elijah. Because Paul begins in verse two by basically saying, listen, if God had rejected Jewish people, why did he ever reach out to me? I'm a Jew. Notice he says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah? Oh, I, I actually skipped it. It's at the end of verse one, where Paul says, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, I'm an example of the fact that God has not forsaken his people. That God has not rejected us. Because if God would have rejected all Jewish people, I wouldn't be where I am today. And then he goes and he uses an example from the Old Testament, Elijah, where Elijah was this prophet of God who basically thought, I'm the only one from the nation of Israel who still believes in God. There is nobody else. And what Elijah was in a sense doing was saying, God, just let's just get rid of us as a nation because... There's nobody left who really is faithful to you and committed to you and believes in you. So now verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. An Israelite pleading against his own nation. Because he feels like they've all forsaken God. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But notice a divine response back to Elijah. God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 people who have not bent the knee to Baal and worship a false god. God is saying, I have kept. The word literally means to preserve, to protect, to provide for. And God was saying to Elijah, listen, Elijah, you may not know this, but I'm always at work. And you don't see all that I'm doing. And there's 7,000 people in Israel who still, like you, are faithful to me. And God sort of had to put Elijah in his place. And God reminded Elijah, I have preserved them so that they weren't wiped out. I provided for them. And God is saying the same thing to you and I tonight. He will protect. He will provide. He will preserve. We can trust him. And then notice... Paul transitions in verse 5 to also expressing the fact that God is faithful and loyal even up to the present day that Paul lives in. When he says, so in the same way, at the present time, there's also still a remnant chosen by grace. There's always been a remnant. As a nation, Israel never accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But there's always been a remnant of believers in the one true God. Always. And God has always preserved that remnant supernaturally 
You study the history of the world and you study the history of the nation of Israel and you can't help but be in awe of a God who could do what he has done down through history with the nation of Israel. And why Paul includes all this in the book of Romans before he gets to some really what I think is some of the best practical stuff in the whole New Testament in Romans 12, which we'll start diving into next week, is because he says, but we can also be encouraged by looking at the nation of Israel. And by seeing how God has dealt with them, it can encourage us because he's the same God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews says. And notice, Paul reminds us here that God chose Israel not on the basis of they, they deserved it, not because they were this wonderful group of people and God looked down from heaven and go, oh, wow, they're so good. I just need to, you know, watch out for them. He said, no, it was all of his grace. Grace in, in this context just means God's unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. No, nobody in the nation of Israel can ever say, well, we deserved what we got from God. No, God says it was all grace. And the same thing is true for us. The Bible clearly teaches that those of us who come to Christ, we come by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's the gift of God, lest any of us would have a grounds for boasting. And we have no ground for boasting because we didn't have anything to do with it. All the glory goes to God. It's all of grace. And so that's why he says in verse 6, if it's by grace, it's no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? If Israel failed, they failed to obtain what it was diligently seeking because they were trying to get there by works, verse 6, and not through the way that God said, here's how you have to come. That's why God goes on in verse 7 and 8 to talk about the hardness of that he gave to the nation of Israel, to the spirit of stupor, verse 8, that he gave to the nation of Israel. And there's some people that have a hard time with that. Why did God do that to the nation of Israel? Why did he do that to his own people? Again, we don't want to take the time tonight, but it's all answered basically in, in, in the whole Old Testament. Because a lot of the Old Testament and all these big books, all these big prophetical books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and all these books that take up a lot of room in the Old Testament testify to the faithfulness of God that time and time again, God would go to his people and say, would you believe me? Would you listen to me? Would you obey me? And over and over and over and over again, time after time after time, they rejected. They, they turned away. And just like Elijah did say, they would kill the prophets that really spoke for God or they would turn a deaf ear. And so finally God says, okay, if you're not going to listen to my voice anymore through my prophets, then I'm going to stop speaking. Because I'm only going to speak if you're going to listen. And if you're not going to listen, and again, only God knows when that time is. But God had determined in his wisdom and in his omniscience, there was no reason to continue to sort of beat his head against the wall and try to speak to the nation because the nation wasn't going to respond. I'm going to come back to some of this because I want to tie this in with you and I. But just hold on for a moment as we move down through here. Because notice verse 11 of chapter 11 is a very encouraging verse. Because you almost get to the point then where you begin to get a pretty doom and gloom picture for the nation of Israel. And maybe you begin to even think about your own life and whatever and think, wow, you know, 
Is there a second chance with God? Oh my goodness. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. I ask then, they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? In other words, a fall from which they could never get back up. And again, Paul uses the strongest language in the Greek language that he could use. Absolutely not. God was going to give Israel another chance as a nation. In fact, many chances down through history and continues to give them chances. And that's even why to this day, there are Jewish people that come to faith in Jesus Christ and there will continue to be until the end of time. One of the things though we are going to learn from Romans 11 is that there is coming a time yet future where as a nation, as a nation, they will acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. What a wonderful day that's going to be. Here's the encouragement for you and I. There's never a point in our life where we fall and it's irrevocable. Because we've all fallen. Whether we fell before we became a Christian and we went far away from God and we maybe wondered, could God ever take me back? Would God ever want me? Would God ever want a relationship with me after the life that I've lived? And the answer is absolutely. You and I will never fall to the point where God's grace cannot reach down and pull us unto Himself. And the same thing is also true for the Christian. You never fall an irrevocable fall to the point where you do something and God basically washes His hands of you and says, No, that's it. No more. Never. Absolutely not. So please be encouraged by that today. And take that message that God has in Romans 11.11 about the nation of Israel and take that message to others that you know need to hear that as well because you probably know of some folks that they're they're there. They they feel like God would never want me back. He, He could never use me again. He could never take my life and do anything worthwhile with it. All those false thoughts and lies, we need to take the message of hope from the Word of God and we need to take it to people and say, no, 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 here's what God says. And then I love what he says. He says, oh, and by the way, their transgression, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression means riches for the world and their defeat means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full restoration bring and full restoration for the nation of Israel, Paul says, is coming because it's one of the promises of God. And it's going to happen as sure as you and I are here tonight in this auditorium. I want to talk just for a moment about these riches. He's not talking here about physical riches. He's talking about spiritual riches. And he's reminding us how rich we are in Christ and in what we have through our relationship with Christ in God. Now hang in there with me. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. In the church at Rome, there were both Jews and Gentiles. So at times in the book of Romans, Paul sort of directing his thoughts towards his Jewish brothers and sisters. And at other times, he's turning his thoughts towards the Gentiles. And he says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, seeing that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. I don't magnify myself. I magnify my ministry if somehow I could provoke my people to jealousy and save some of them. And simply what Paul is meaning there in verse 13 and 14 is a very important principle for all of us. Paul says, I want 
my Jewish brothers and sisters to see the reality of the life of God in me so much that it almost prompts an appetite for God with those who don't know God yet. It's like Paul saying, I want to live a life of such distinction. I want to magnify my ministry with God and for God to such a degree that I whet the appetite of those who don't know God to want to search a little bit more and check it out and see what this relationship with God through Jesus Christ is all about. How do we do that? How do we live allowing others to see the reality of the life of God in us so that it increases their appetite for God even though they don't know God in a personal way yet? Well, I want to go back now and I just want to share some of the same things we've already shared, but looking at it from that angle. First of all, we learn in the very first verse that God is true to his word. He's faithful. One of the ways that you and I share the reality of God in our lives is by being people, men and women who are true to our word. Our word is our bond. What we say is what we do and we follow through with it. That's one of the ways people see the reality of God in our lives. By modeling the way God is to us. He's faithful. He's loyal. His word is true. So when we interact with people in the world, especially those who don't know Christ yet, one of the ways they're going to see the reality of God in my life is by me being true to my word and by me being faithful as well. Then Paul begins to talk about the compassion that God had toward Israel, even when they had turned their back on him. And he uses himself and his interaction with Elijah. And so one of the ways people can see the reality of God in our lives is through our compassion, through the fact that we care. We care about them. We care about their soul. We care about them physically. We just love them and we care about them. And we're not out to sort of build a relationship with them just for the motivation of bringing them to Christ. We just love them, but hope that there comes a point where that light bulb does come on and they do accept Christ. But we just need to love on them and love them with the love of Christ and love them unconditionally and love them sacrificially. And demonstrate that kind of love and compassion. Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because of this kind of love. John 13, 35. Another way we demonstrate the reality of God in our lives is by humility. Because when you come down to verse 5 and he talks about the fact that all that we have in Christ is just because of God's grace. It's not because we were so wonderful and God said, Oh, Jeff, you're so wonderful. I'm going to do all this stuff for you. No, the Bible says even while Jeff Royce was a sinner far away from God and didn't want to have anything to do with God, Christ died for me. He demonstrated his love for me even when I didn't want to have anything to do with him. That's the grace of God. And therefore, that should stir in me not a pride that makes me think I'm better than someone else or that I look down my nose at somebody else or that I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little... No, it should create in me a sense of humility before my God that my God, everything that He's ever poured out on me is because of His wonderful, marvelous, matchless, amazing grace. Another reality that people can see in my life is my teachability, which goes hand in hand with humility. If I'm humble, I'm going to be teachable. I'm not going to think I know it all and that I, I can't learn. And this is what's so exciting to me about Tuesday nights. Because no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, or maybe you're just getting started, seeing the hunger in God's people to want to continue to learn and grow and know more and more. Folks, I have studied this book hours upon hours 
for 30 plus years and I still want to learn so much more because there's so much in here that I still don't know. And I will always grow and learn and, and have a greater understanding as I continue to, to do it. And so will you. And that's such a cool thing. We'll never get to the end of it on this side of heaven. And that's what I get from that whole concept of God continued to speak to them and speak to them and speak to them and they wouldn't listen because they weren't teachable. They thought they were okay. And so God hardened them and gave them a spirit of stupor. In fact, in verse 8, that word stupor is a very interesting word. It's literally a word that's used for numbness resulting from a bite or a sting. And especially in the Middle East there, just like here in the Phoenix area, they have scorpions. And that word was primarily used in that language to, de- to determine the numbness that would come from a scorpion sting. And God is saying that's the same kind of numbness that you have spiritually in your life. You are demonstrating a dulling of your spiritual senses. You're becoming spiritually lethargic. You're becoming spiritually complacent and apathetic. So one of the ways that people see the reality of God in our lives is when we're just the opposite. When we're enthusiastic and excited and passionate and hungry for the things of God and to know God better. Another one in verse 11 is perseverance. Because guess what? Even as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're not always going to, you know, be on top of our game spiritually. But what we've got to learn to do is get back up. And know that that's what God wants us to do. Oh, he's not going to, you know, just totally excuse it. He wants us to learn from our mistakes and learn from our sin and learn from our disobedience. But he also doesn't want us to stay down. That's what the enemy wants us to do. We make a mistake. He kicks us when we're down. He wants us to stay down. He wants us to be defeated. He wants us to be discouraged. And God says, no, no, no. Okay, Jeff, you made a mistake, but now let's get back up and let's keep moving. Nobody here ever fell an irrevocable fall. I love the verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 24, 16. It says, although the righteous may fall seven times, he gets back up every time. I love that. That's a verse that has encouraged me because I've fallen a lot more than seven times in my life as a Christian. And I think seven there is just a number that sort of is just used. It, it doesn't matter how many times we fall. God just wants to reach down and say, okay, Jeff, you fell that time. Let's get back up. Let's keep moving. Perseverance. Endurance. People need to see that in our life. The book of Proverbs says if we faint in a day of adversity, our strength is small. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might so that, so that when we do fall down, we get back up. And maybe there's some of you here tonight, you have fallen this week. Maybe this month, whatever, and you're discouraged. Then The enemy has you in a, in a weak, defeated position. And maybe the reason God had you here tonight is He wanted you to re- be reminded... Son, daughter, I love you. Come on, let's get back up. Get that chin back up and let's continue moving towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then verse 12 reminds me about how we need to display contentment to the world. Because in Christ, we are rich. We have been given spiritual riches beyond imagination. And yet many times... I think as Christians, sometimes we may display an attitude of spiritual poverty, like, God, you really haven't given me very much, and wish you'd give me a little bit more, and 
I realize a lot of times we're maybe looking at the physical, but, but God would say, I'll take care of your needs. I won't necessarily give you all that you ever want, but I'll take care of your needs. And I have blessed you beyond your wildest dreams spiritually. You just need to tap into it. We are spiritually rich and we need to, we need to display that spiritual richness to a world that's hungry and looking for something that will bring fulfillment and satisfaction to their life. And they can't find it in anything on this earth or any relationship in this world, but they will find it through Jesus Christ. Which leads me to verse 15 in chapter 11, where Paul says, then if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, And the term reconciliation here refers to God's work through Christ that provides the basis for all to be brought to fellowship with God. It doesn't mean the whole world's going to heaven. It just means that Christ's work on the cross provided enough that anybody and everybody who wanted to have a relationship with God could. Then Paul goes on to say, what will their acceptance, meaning Israel as a nation's acceptance, be but life from the dead. You see, Paul is saying, listen, folks, God is so powerful and so great that one day he's not a, you know, it's great when God does an individual resurrection. You know, it, it was great when Jesus himself rose from the dead, the ultimate, you know, display that he was the son of God. It was great when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and other people were raised from the dead. That was individual resurrections. But the Bible teaches us in Romans, and we're going to turn to a passage here in just a moment, God is so powerful that He can do a national resurrection. A whole nation resurrected from the ashes? Exactly. Keep your finger there in Romans 11. We'll eventually come back there. And turn back to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. It's a pretty big book. In the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, I just got to tell you, every time I read and study this passage of scripture, I really, you think I get excited? I really get excited. In fact, if I was a dancer, I'd probably dance. Because this passage of scripture always has been one of my Favorite passage, because here's how we can apply this passage. Yeah, this passage is, again, promising national resurrection to a nation, the nation of Israel. How do I, as a Gentile, living in 2007 in Chandler, Arizona, going to Cornerstone, how does that apply to me in this way? If our God is great enough, powerful enough, to be able to provide a national resurrection to a lifeless nation of people, what is beyond that God doing in my life? What is beyond that God doing in my family's life? What is beyond that God doing in our community's life? Is there anything beyond what that God can do if He can bring a whole nation to life again after they have been dead? Look at what the prophet Ezekiel says. And what a great picture here. All right? Sort of cool too, not to tie this in, but Halloween is like Wednesday, right? Well, start thinking about dancing bones. All right? 
because that's what he's talking about here. Notice if you've never read this passage, it'll, it'll be cool to you for the first time. Although I've read it many times, it's still very cool. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and placed me in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. He made me walk all around among them. I realized there were a great many bones in the valley and they were very dry. That's important. No mince, no wasted words with God. These bones weren't just, they were very dry bones. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? I said back to God, sovereign Lord, you know, I I don't know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and tell them dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now there's a tough audience for you. I'm a prophet of God. I've got a message from God and God, you're sending me to a valley of bones. Okay. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Look, I am about to infuse breath into you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and muscles over you and I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. There was a sound when I prophesied. I heard rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. As I watched, I saw tendons on them. Then muscles appeared and skin covered over them from above. But there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these corpses so that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an extremely great army. Don't miss what's just happened here. Our God has taken a pile of dry, very dry, lifeless bones and created out of that pile of lifeless, dry bones an exceedingly great army. My friends, if God can do that, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I don't think so. So anytime you and I begin to think, Whatever I'm facing in my life, whatever problem, whatever obstacle, whatever situation, whatever relationship, whatever difficulty, it doesn't matter. If our God can make a bunch of dry, lifeless bones into an exceedingly great army, he can do anything in your life and my life if we'll just allow him to. Don't miss the last couple of verses. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are all the house of Israel. You see, if you ever want to know, a lot of times people say, I have a hard time understanding the Bible. It just doesn't make sense. And if you just read the first 10 verses, you'd go, what in the world are these dancing bones? But many times if you just keep reading, guess what? God tells us what it is. And God said, these bones illustrate the house of Israel. Look, they are saying our bones are dry. Our hope has perished. We are cut off. That's what a lot of people say today. We're done. We went too far. We've sinned too much. We've fallen too far. We have no more hope. We're hopeless. God can't help anymore. We're cut off from God and there's never going to be any chance to ever have a second chance of restoration and and what God can do with my life. And again, this illustrates for us, no, absolutely not. That's not true at all. 
If God can resurrect the nation of Israel, He can resurrect any life here and now. And probably some of you tonight could give testimony to the fact of that. Amen? Amen. Therefore prophesy and tell them this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Verse 12, look, I am about to open your graves and will raise you from your graves, my people. I will bring you to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. I will place my breath in you and you will live and I will give you rest in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will act, declares the Lord. Now, again, you've got to understand what's Romans have 11 have to do with me. Look at the history of Israel. A nation that was basically scattered over every country in the world. They didn't even have a homeland. And yet it was this land that they're in now that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it wasn't by their hand. We know that if you study history. It was by the very God that penned these words in Ezekiel 37 that God gave life to a nation and brought Jewish people from all over the world and gave them the land that He had promised them long ago. And some of the land that they are in right now is that same land God promised them. How did they get to that point? God. And if God can do that with a nation... And God can bring restoration to a nation. God can bring restoration to you and to me and to our friends and to our family. All we have to do is just make ourselves available to that God. And say, God, I'm willing. You just, you just do it. You've got the power. There's nothing beyond you. Back to Romans 11. Sorry, that passage just, I just love that passage. Nothing like the dry bone passage in Ezekiel 37. Now he switches gears beginning in verse 17. And we're going to, you know, close and wrap things up here in just a few moments. And if any of you have questions, we'll give you a chance here at the end. So now Paul turns back to the Gentiles and he wants to be very careful about this. He says, okay, Gentiles, but here's the deal. Just because you are enjoying the privileges and the blessings of God... Because you've accepted by grace through faith what God has provided, don't be lifted up in pride. Because that whole situation can be reversed very quickly. That there's lots of Gentiles who can begin to say no to God and to the gift that God is offering. And there can be more and more Jews who can all of a sudden say, you know what, God, you're right. Jesus Christ is my Messiah. And, and I'm going to start believing so that they begin to enjoy the blessings and privileges that, that the Gentiles have enjoyed for many, many centuries. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. Now, some of the branches were broken off. Speaking of the nation of Israel. And you, a wild olive shoot, that's Gentiles, were grafted in among them and participated in the richness of the olive root. Do not boast over the branches. Why? Because Israel has a guaranteed future because God's promises to them will be fulfilled. And God's even going to restore them to greater glory than where they even are now because one day as a nation they're going to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So he's just warning us. Gentiles who know Christ and who are enjoying the blessings and privileges of God, don't boast. 
Don't get lifted up in pride. Always remember that everything that we're enjoying is by God's grace. And it's not because, oh, we were so wonderful that God showered all of this on us. Verse 19, then you will say the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand by faith. And I want you to see the juxtaposition in verse 20 that's very important here tonight between unbelief and faith. And all Paul is summing up here in this whole chapter is the reason why many, many Jewish people are not enjoying the privileges and blessings that God wants to bestow on them is because they don't believe. And that's the only thing that's keeping them from enjoying those privileges and blessings. And the only reason we are enjoying those privileges and blessings is because we are standing by faith. We are believing at this point. But there may come a point where we would choose not to believe. And then Paul would say, guess what? If you choose to stop trusting in God, you're not going to enjoy the blessings and privileges that are only yours when you and I do believe and do trust. For instance, let me go back to this whole thing that I struggled for years in this whole anxiety, worry thing. The Bible gave me the prescription for my anxiety and worry. But I hadn't come to a point where I, by faith, really trusted what God said. So therefore, I spent a number of years... Dealing with anxiety. It wasn't because the promises of God weren't true. It was because I wasn't at that point appropriating them by faith. Therefore, they were doing me no good. And so even as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can get to the point where I'm not enjoying all the privileges and blessings of being a child of God because I'm not appropriating them by faith. Because notice what Paul says. We stand by faith alone, period. I have to, yes, I had to trust Christ as my personal Savior to have a relationship with God, but even after I become a child of God, in order to enjoy all the privileges and blessings of being a child of God and seeing His power work through my life, i got to continue to trust in His Word and believe what He says. If I get to a point where I I don't believe you, God, I'm not going to enjoy those privileges. And so Paul says, be careful. Be careful if you're enjoying the privileges and blessings of God now in your life because you do believe because the only reason you and I have that stability in our life now and we are standing is because we're standing by faith. And all Paul and all God would say to us right now is keep keep standing in your faith. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Notice verse 23. Because Paul reminds us, and even they, the nation of Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief, guess what? They'll be grafted back in, for God is able to graft them in again. The only, the the thing that's just going to change, if a Jewish person begins to believe in what God said, guess what? They begin to enjoy the privileges and blessings that God has for them. Just because they believe. The only thing that's preventing the floodgates of God's blessings and privileges is their unbelief. That's it. Once a person turns to believing in God and trusting in Him and putting their faith in Him, guess what the Bible says? The floodgates of privileges and blessings and all kinds of cool things begin to flow. Because much of the promises of God that He gives in His Word are conditional upon my faith. Some aren't, but most are. So God, again, through Paul, is just encouraging us. Again, notice what he says in verse 25. For I do not want you, Gentiles, to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not, again, be conceited. 
Because God is going to fulfill the promises made to Israel when they experience future salvation. Because he goes on to say, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel, verse 26, will be saved as it is written and promised in the Old Testament. Because notice in verse 29, Paul emphatically believes that God will never renege on anything promised to Israel or to you and I. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. And if God promised it, it's going to happen. Because God's never going to take back a promise. Because God is faithful. God can be trusted. And that's true with the nation of Israel and it's true with you and I as well. Well, after Paul begins to go through all this, he just he can't contain himself. It's almost like all this information that that he's written down here has just grabbed his heart so much that notice at the end of chapter 11, he basically just goes in and breaks out and prays to God. He says in verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how fathomless his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has first given to God that God needs to repay him? Again, why? Because all of God's actions towards humanity are by grace. And then I love verse 36. Because in verse 36, here's what Paul succinctly says. That God is the source of all good things. God is the sustainer. And God is the goal of all things in this life. For from him, that's the source. Through him, that's the sustainer. And to him, that's the goal, are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And Paul says, just look to God. This God who has preserved the nation of Israel whose promises to the nation of Israel have come true and will come true. and all. Look at that. And the same God who's looking out after Israel and preserving Israel and setting them up in the land in Israel and all of that is the same God who can work in your life and my life. He's the same source. He's the same sustainer. Anything that you and I need in our life, He's the one we look to. Because from Him are all things. And if you need something in your life, if you truly need something in your life, God's the one to look to. He'll give it whatever you need. And guess what? If he doesn't give it to you, that meant you don't need it. And then he's the sustainer. You and I never come to a point where it's like, I can't go on. God says, no, no, no. You look to me and I'll sustain you. Even through the most difficult days. And many of us in this room have been... In our lives, at times in our life where we have not felt like getting out of bed, we have not felt like putting a foot on the floor to even begin a day, we have felt, whether we were ever going to act on it or not, like, Lord, just take my life, I just don't want to live anymore. And our God is a sustainer who can keep us going, even when we get that low. And I love that passage in Isaiah 40 where he says, hey, even young people get weak and faint and need re-energized. They're like the worship songs that we sing and the passage of Scripture. Let's look to the Lord and wait upon Him and mount up with wings like eagles and run and don't grow weary. Because God can sustain. And then He's the goal of all things. Everything comes back to Him. And everything that we do should reflect favorably upon Him and bring glory and honor to Him. 
which is how Paul ends it. He says, after this chapter, that, that's all Paul could come to the conclusion. Of the, wow, we got a great God. A God that nothing is beyond Him helping us with. So if you've come here tonight, remember Romans 11 and remember Ezekiel 37 and remember these passages and these promises as you go through the rest of the week and look to God for everything you need and look to God to sustain you and remind yourself that my God is so big and so awesome and so great that there is nothing in my life that he can't help me deal with because if he can restore and resurrect a nation, he can help me with my life. Amen? All right. We've got a few minutes left. We've got some microphones up here. Uh, any questions tonight? I can't see, so, you know, the lights are off my baldness here, so I, I can't see you. So, question. Over here. In Proverbs twenty four sixteen, I think, where you said the righteous may fall seven times, is that in correlation or can it be interpreted the same as when Peter said how many times shall I forgive 70 times 7 I mean is it like in an unlimited amount yeah yep I think again going back to what Paul says in Romans about the nation of Israel was their fall an irrevocable fall that they could never get up from and Paul says absolutely not uh, and, and I want you guys to know that as well and take that message again to family and friends that you know who, again, may have fallen and feel like, again, God could never, never would want me, never could use me.